0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and I simply ask tonight for your help, your grace to communicate what is on your heart, Father. We thank you so much for just the, the atmosphere of worship that Michelle and Tacoa and Eric led us in, Lord. And we just want to continue to honor you and remain in that attitude of worship as we hear your word. So Lord, open our ears to hear what you would say to us and open our hearts to receive that. May our hearts tonight be like good soil where the seed is implanted and bears much fruit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. And there's a special prize for anybody on the front row. You get to come pray for debt. No, you don't have to. But thank you for being on the front row, sweet. It makes me feel loved. Normally people are too afraid to get that close. <laughs> so tonight we're talking about come up here, the invitation and revelation of Christ. So if you remember the last time I shared... This is under the introduction. We talked about Jesus when he said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, I'm meek and I'm gentle. And we, we unpacked that. That was actually in January. It's already February, and it's looking really nice out there. Praise the Lord. It went from like Arctic to like, now it's spring. It's crazy in two weeks, how, but it's the Midwest is what happens. But it's already February, and tonight, so it's not come to me, now it's when he said to John, John, come up here. And so it's two different calls to come, and I want to develop this a little bit, but the verse that we're really going to lock into is Revelation 4.1, where John is on the island of Patmos, and I'll kind of develop kind of the scenario here in a minute, and John is in this visionary experience, and he hears this voice say, "Come up here, and I'm going to show you things which must take place after this." Uh, I love how it echoes in Proverbs 25. There's this Proverbs that, that says, "Don't you know? Essentially, don't don't try to be uh, this person that's always you know looking important, getting to the front of the line. Stay in the back, and and let the king call you up." And Jesus reiterated that in His ministry. Don't take the seat in the very front, but you can, Gloria. <laughs> but there's this idea of take the back seat and, and it's more honorable that He calls you up. And so it's interesting, there's these like types and shadows, and this is like the ultimate, like, John, come up here, man. And what an experience he has. And I want to start by kind of painting a background. Um, Because the book of Revelation is is so cryptic to so many people that I want to take somewhat of a different approach tonight. And this is by no means is this going to be an exhaustive teaching on Revelation. But I want to just hit some specific points that I think will help us in practical ways. And just navigating life, we'll learn a lot on the way. But the book of Revelation, think of it as John really needed that revelation. We know it as this book of the Bible. But apparently, Jesus thought, John, you need this right now. You know, if you think about what's going on during John's day, you know, this is the first century. There is a ton of persecution. You know, this is, uh, I think, Uh, I have it written down here. This is is a bunch of background information we're going to get into. But this is maybe 50 or 60 years after Jesus has now ascended. And so church life just goes on. We read about it in um, the book of Acts and then Corinthians and the letters. But this is way beyond most of the things written in the New Testament. This is just a new, you know, the book of Revelation is way later than most of the action we read about in the Gospels and in Acts. And a lot has transpired, a lot has changed, but there's a heavy amount of persecution. There's many pressures on the church. There's a hostile Roman government, and it's only getting more hostile. They're martyring Christians, they're trying to eliminate the church. The Jews who are not Christians are persecuting the Jews who are Christians. And there's just so many challenges The many churches are compromised at this point. We see that show up in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus has to correct many things, and that's the purpose of this revelation. But I'm thinking when when John gets this, what we call the book of Revelation, he's he's thinking like, I needed that. (laughs) Thank you. This is what I needed, you know, but it was like the ultimate, I needed that. But I look at it as like a friend, Jesus a friend speaking to his friend. John. And he's saying, John, I know everything that's going on. I know it's been a minute since we've seen each other. So come up here and see what I see. I know that there's pressure. I know there's challenges. I know there's all these things going on that you probably didn't anticipate. So come up here. See from my vantage point. Remember what's really going on. Um, you know, don't just get fixated with what you can see. Don't don't just fixate on that. But remember that there is something way bigger than than what you're thinking, John. Remember that. And again, John was discipled by Jesus, and we all think, well, if you spent three years with Jesus, you're like automatically just going to kill it in life. Well. Not necessarily. I mean, they're, they're. I mean, they all did quite well. We know Judas not so much, but the apostles were successful eventually. But they had so many more challenges than they likely thought they were going to be. And I wrote here under number two of the invitation. It seems, just from what we read in this revelation, it seems. That just because John was renowned, we think of him as this renowned apostle, so bold, you know, he's deep friendship with Jesus. He's this apostle, he's this pillar. But yet we see Jesus show up in Revelation 1 and say, John, don't be afraid. Jesus puts his hand on John, John, don't be afraid. It's like John's like, Lord, where are you? I mean, you said you would come back and. And yet, we're getting mowed down here. I mean, we're, we're struggling. The churches are compromised and there's challenges. And it's hard. And I'm sure he's thinking that. Of course, John's way advanced in years. But I'm, I'm sure this is going through his head. These are, he's thinking like we would think because he's human. You know, we can't look at people in the Bible and just say, well, they were in the Bible, they're different. But they weren't they experienced life just like us. I mean, different culture, different generation, etc. But they had fears. Even the strongest men and women of God that we read about in the Bible, they had anxieties, they had insecurities, they had difficulties, they had delayed expectations. They thought Jesus meant that and it was this actually. And they had to figure that over, over time. They had to figure out, oh, I misunderstood that promise. It actually looked like this. I didn't know that. So there's lots of things they didn't understand. And I'm sure John got to a point, he's about 80 or 90 years old by the time the book of Revelation is written. There may have been feelings of hopelessness. There may have been feelings of, um, you know, this just isn't going the way I thought it would go. We don't know but again, Jesus shows up. Revelation 1.17. One of the first things He says to John is, John, don't be afraid. I'm real. Remember that? I, 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 know, I know it's been a minute. I know a lot's happened since I left. But I'm right here. It actually puts His hand on John. And John's thinking, what is happening? He's probably thinking, like, I, w- I, mean, I don't know if it was like this, but like, couldn't you have just done this if, Like, at once a year? Just touch me and remind me. But we don't know if that happened, but... Jesus doesn't just show up and say, "Don't be afraid" for no reason. John was probably in a in a in a place where he's thinking, "Man, I'm struggling," and the church is struggling. I mean, if I and he's thinking, "I'm old. If I go on, you know, like who's the next apostle? Who's going to take the church?" I mean, there's probably many fears he has. Let me just go into a, even a little more detail and background here. Not spend too much time on this. But John's elderly, he's gonna die at some point. And he's worried. He's he's you know, Paul said this thing, this thing that comes upon him daily was his deep concern for the churches. These apostles, they weren't just powerful, they cared at a level that others didn't care. And so he's thinking, okay, my time's gonna be up, Lord. Who's next? Who's gonna take the church into the second century and the third and the fourth? If you would tarry? That's these are the things I'm sure he's wrestling through. And he ends up, because he's so unlike, that's to, to just say it the nicest way possible, he's so disliked by the Roman emperor Domitian, the Roman government, that he... In fact, they tried to kill him. I think we talked about this, Matt, the other day. The Domitian tried to kill John. Um, we know this because one of the well-known church historians, I have it documented somewhere on the notes here, um, Tertullian wrote about this that they tried to boil John in oil to kill him. They tried to kill as many as they could and he would not die. This is documented church history. They put him in a vat of boiling oil to kill John the Apostle and they put him in there submerged but just like many stories in the Bible like the you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they put him in the fire the fire didn't touch him. You know, the, the funny thing is you can't kill a dead man. And these these men were dead. They were, they were dead in Christ, like at the highest level. And they put him in this vat, and they pull him out, and John's like, hey, guys. <laughs> surprise! <laughs> I'm still here. And so they probably freak out. And they, the, the legend is they tried to kill him many times. He just he wouldn't die. And so they kind of as a, you know, I don't know, as a, as a second best, they exile him into Patmos. Patmos is, if you look on a map today at modern day Turkey, 40 miles west, there's a collection of islands. Most of them are actually Greek now. So between Greece and Turkey is the Aegean Sea and there's like dozens of large and like 100 or 200 small islands just all over the Aegean Sea, Patmos was one of them, and if you drew a direct line from Ephesus, where John was pastoring, to Rome, if you drew a direct line, Patmos is right there. And so one of these islands was they just put prisoners there. Prisoners of the state were allowed to kind of roam the island of Patmos. I say it's kind of like an Alcatraz, but it wasn't barren. Alcatraz off of the coast of California, still not in operation, but... We all understand Alcatraz is a place where you'd put prisoners. But just imagine a way more kind of civilized version of that where there's people coming and going, ships coming and going, and there's prisoners there. So John was exiled to Patmos because he couldn't die. And so he's there, and he's just, you know, what do you do when you're in exile? You kind of just... Feel bad? I don't know. You're afraid? Like, what's happening in the church? I mean, they put me in exile. They tried to kill me. What are they trying to do? The other churches, so you're worried. And then he gets this great experience 22 chapters of Revelation. Interestingly, um, Revelation was the last written book of the Bible, last chronologically, and last added in the canon. There was long debate should the book of Revelation be in the Bible, and it was finally accepted. I think maybe three, four hundred. I can't remember exactly when it was finally like, yes, definitely. This is you know the final sixty-six books, and then it's over. And I'm really glad they did because it's a it's an incredible book. But uh, this is important to know. So let's the timing is always debated. But if John would have been sent to Patmos in ninety four then he would have received the revelation in 95 because he got out in 96. Domitian was eventually assassinated. So he's on Patmos for a year and a half. He's weary, he's afraid, he's old, he's probably praying and like, Lord, I don't fully know. But Jesus comes to him and says, John, come up here. Again, if I'm John, I'm thinking, there's too many fronts. Come. I mean, there's too many battle fronts for me to navigate. I have no idea what to do. And I'm sure just because here's the wisdom of God allowing multiple pressures is you really feel there's, I can't, I can't do anything but seek you, God. There's no answer in the, in, in the natural. God, if you don't show up and speak and do something, there's no way forward for the church. We're just going to cease to exist. I don't get what's happening. And and Jesus goes, that's exactly where I want you to be, John. I want you to be at a cross point. I want you to be at a point where everything is so dead that I break through with resurrection power, just like I defeated all the powers and principalities of hell on the cross. I bring my church in seasons to this cross point Where it's it's just, everything is just so impossible, so not going to go forward, and then I come through. And and it's like, God, why do you do that? Couldn't it be more comfortable? I had this joke, the Holy Spirit's called the comforter in the Bible, and it's like God knew how uncomfortable the Christian life would be. He's like, I'm going to actually have to give you a comforter that lives in you because it's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be a lot of times when you're like, I lack comfort, I need you. And he's like, that's why I'm in you. That's why I've given you my Holy Spirit. But Lord, couldn't you do it another way? And he goes, no, because you just wouldn't talk to me as much. If it was easy, if it was comfortable, if it was kind of like everything is in America, we wouldn't talk. We wouldn't be close. You wouldn't call to me. And so God ordains many pressures. And I just think, Lord, are you sure it's right? And he goes, it's right. And I go, I know, but we all get that, right? And so John is taken up. I'm going to go all the way down to the the bottom of the notes. I'm going to skip over Roman number four there. Excuse me. John is taken up, and what's the thing he sees first? He has this experience, and in Revelation 4... The first thing God wants him to see, after he says, come up here, is the throne of God. Now, what's interesting about the book of Revelation is when Jesus was addressing his churches, there are seven churches he addresses. One of them he calls, and one of where the churches was, he says, that's the throne of Satan. Satan. That's how evil it was there. Jesus actually says, you live in an area I call the throne of Satan. And John's like, I'm very aware of that, Lord. It's that hard. And Jesus like, affirming, that's how hard it is. Satan himself is raging against the church. I know that you live within that, but let me show you another throne, John. I want to show you a throne that's so much more powerful than the throne of Satan. It's literally going to blow you away. What I love about... John's first part of this experience is when Jesus comes up and touches him and says, be not afraid, I'm the beginning and the end, etc. John just, you know. <laughs> we talked that a couple weeks ago. He just kind of melted. So again, we've talked about this a little bit. John was leaning on him a couple decades ago, just being buddy-buddy, leans on his bosom. Oh, we're friends. Now John sees him. The glory's turned up, way up. And I don't know how to word that. It's just... It was really dialed down in Jesus's earthly ministry. Now it's really back up to normal. And John just looks at him. You know, he just is dead down. Jesus is saying, "John, I'm so much more glorious than you ever knew. And what I'm about to show you is so much more powerful than anything you, you've ever known. Like, there's a lot that I couldn't tell you on the on the other side of when I was with you. You just couldn't grasp it. You know, there's a verse in the Gospels, I think you might be familiar with it, where Jesus says, I had many things to tell you, but you couldn't bear them. And I read that verse and I go, wow, what did he have in his heart, but he just knew they couldn't handle it? Unbelievable. Well, now he's kind of peeling back the onion a little bit. Come up here, let me show you my throne. The throne that is above everything. Because you've seen so much persecution, John. You've gone through so much suffering. You've seen the church's struggle on so many fronts that you've forgotten a little bit of what's really going on up here. And I need to show you so that you can tell others. And by the way, John was released and he went and undoubtedly told everybody, you have no idea what I saw i got to tell you. He sent the letters, and the letters got out, but then he followed his letters and kind of probably did an itinerating thing. And That's just my guess on what happened. In Revelation 4, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. And he goes, with someone sitting on it. John's like, oh my goodness, oh boy, I think I know who that is. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And he goes on and on. He begins to describe the very throne of God. He sees it with his eyes. That's there right now. It's there right now. We just don't see it. Somewhere up in the sky, I don't know how or where or when, or I don't know fully how to get I mean, I don't think you can drive a plane there. I think there's <laughs> But it's there. It's a very physical place, it's a very spiritual place. It's both and God's there and it's real. And it's easy to forget in all of the ongoings of life, all the pressures. It's like our head and our nose are just pointed. Every time we're we're just looking two feet in front of us and we just cannot... What's really going on? And it's like the Lord saying to John and to us and to His church, come up here for a minute. Look. Look what's really going on. I've uh, actually... I don't mean to get too far off onto a tangent here, but I've been doing a lot of, watching a lot of videos on YouTube of near death experiences. Um, Because many people who have near death experiences, both Christian and non Christian, use language that's like this. They get taken up to heaven and they see just unbelievable lights and hear voices and angels and it's incredible it's a, it's literally one of my most fascinating favorite topics is just to hear people describe what they see and then they come back to their body and and sometimes it's uh you know sometimes people don't know what they experience cuz they've no grid they're not even a christian so they just say a lot of things that are in the bible but they don't know it's Jesus. They just they had the experience. It's amazing to listen to both Christians and non-Christians. The most well-known that I would recommend looking into, his name is Don Piper. Don Piper wrote a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. He was in a, a car accident, he died. He went to heaven, he wrote a book on this stuff. And he is one of the more prominent voices of just a genuine I mean, he's, he was a pastor at the time and he goes through his experience. It's unbelievable. I mean, it just takes your breath away. And so I would point people to him because his his is... A lot of people who have near-death experiences, they don't have good theology and they don't know how to make sense of it and so they just say weird things. And But it's still cool. But Don is just... I would point people to his story first because if you just YouTube it, you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff. But I'm, I'm amazed at how God will appear to people even who have no idea who He is. And He'll give tokens. He'll give revelations, but they still have to figure it out here down on earth. They still have to get saved. And um, So anyway, I just mention all that because we sometimes look at the book of Revelation and we go, why, why is it so weird and symbolic? Why are there so many strange descriptions? And the fact is, it's just heaven is so superior to our understanding that there's just almost no categories for it. And so when John looks at God, by the way, no one can look at God, or you die. And so the Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light. Even the light is unapproachable. And so there are so many realities we don't even know about. And so John is like, I think I know who that is, but it's like Carnelian and Jasper. It's like, Red colors shooting everywhere. What is going on? And he's trying to describe God himself, but God himself is beyond our categories, and everything in heaven is just far beyond earth. And so you have to keep that in mind. It's not like we're going to go to heaven and go, oh, it's a little different. It's No, it's way... I mean, our intellect just goes, ah. I encourage you to... There's actually a new movie out called After Death. That I have not seen, but I'm I really want to see it. Because it goes through a lot of these accounts of people going to heaven and anyway, where am I going with this? John is taken up to the ultimate. He sees the throne room and he it's like God wanted him to know John, I want you to remember it's real. Everything I told you, it's real. I know there's persecution, all these hardships and everything. You probably didn't think it was going to go this way, but it's real. And so hang in there, John. Tell people, don't quit. I'm here. Look at me. And I know when you look at me, it just looks crazy, but I'm here. And I, you know, that's me putting into my my take here. But he really did see the corporate headquarters. I mean, he was taken up. There it is, the control tower. He saw it. And he saw the very place God dwells. He is there. There is a place and God's there. It's it's right up there. It's just we don't see Him, our eyes. In fact, in Colossians, what is it, chapter 2 or 3, Paul says, think of things above. Don't just get fixated on here. Think of things up there. Think of things above. Give your heart and your mind, think about those things One of the great tragedies of life is we don't think about the next one. We don't think about what's next. We don't think about what's up there. We just get so bogged down. And some of it's legitimate. Some of it's just we're going too far with it. God says, come up here. Remember, look up here. We get to read the pictures and imagine it." John was like, I was there. Trust me. And that's why you see John with almost this vehemency. He says, do not take away from the words in this book. Do not add to it. Do not take away. I was there. I I really did take great care in documenting this. Him or or his scribe, there's debate. He, He or a scribe together wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, sent it out. But he said, I wrote this meticulously. I saw this stuff. It's real. So he says, if you take away or you add, you are cursed, man. <laughs> so I read that and I go, Ooh, not going not gonna to take away, John. You got me. So he says, it's, it's real. God's there. Um, I'm sure he was deeply and profoundly impacted by, I mean, he's not just, you know, Don Piper in his testimony, he says he was allowed to go basically up to the gate, and then he was sent back. But John is saying, guys, I didn't see the gate. I mean, he did. He saw the walls. Later on, he says he saw the walls. He says, I, I actually saw the throne room. It's like, God, for some reason in his kindness, let me see the very center of the center of the Holy of Holies. I looked at God. I mean, there he was. I saw his throne, and I saw a being, and light, and rainbows, and angels saying, Holy. And I just, I, I had no words. But so, I mean, he had a few words. <laughs> but he just was like, I'm sure he was just slack-jawed. I mean, I, I just... What do you say when you get to heaven? So this is what he was shown, and this is what we need to remember. It's there. It's real. Sometimes we just need to read the words and imagine, oh my gosh, wow. One of the things that John saw in this experience was not just the throne of God, but the church of God. And so John saw... In This um, and this was a little bit before he was taken up, but, but it's kind of part of the whole thing. In being taken up to God's perspective, he saw the church in a new way. He saw that Jesus was really involved in the church. In fact, one of the churches, Jesus said, I am he who walks amidst the lampstands. And the lampstands were referred to the churches. He's like, John, I'm really walking through the churches. I'm very involved. I'm very invested. I need you to know that. These are some things I want you to correct. These are some things I want you to affirm. But I care. Just because I haven't done something dramatic for a whole generation doesn't mean I don't care. Look what's still going on up here. Hear my heart for the churches. I really do care. But Lord, I thought you were coming back. I didn't know we'd have to go through all this. He goes, John, my timing, my ways are so much different than you're thinking. You misjudged a lot. That's what humans do. But just know this. I care. This is why I'm giving you this experience. And I'm sure like all the churches got those letters and they're like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> Thank you. That is definitely from God. And so Jesus, this all-seeing God, he just nailed it. The just greatest prophetic word you could ever give to a church, he gave it to all seven. And so John saw the church of God in a new way. And we see by the end of this revelation John saw, he understood, this church is not just a church, it's a bride. Jesus loves these people like a bridegroom loves a bride. And He's preparing a wedding feast for them. It's like, it's beyond what you're thinking. It's just incredibly good news that that we continue to persevere and we continue to... In fact, before I switch to the back here, I just want to say that, that John, in this visionary experience, he understood clearly Jesus has designs on a victorious church. John heard clearly Jesus calling for us to overcome. We are not going to whittle away into fear and then Jesus comes back for the weakest church imaginable. No, he's like, Jesus is calling us higher to be victorious, to overcome. There's many rewards for it. He sees you as a bride. Now rise up and serve Him faithfully without compromise. That was what John is saying. Some people have this idea of a church getting weaker and weaker and weaker and more afraid and more afraid, and then uh, we just die out. And then Jesus comes back. No, we're going to be evangelizing the whole earth in holy love. We're going to be overcomers. We're going to be you know, doing exploits and bringing people to the Lord. And, and there's so much God has planned for His church. And John probably felt corrected. I mean, I certainly know John felt corrected because the first church Jesus sent a note to was the church of Ephesus, which was his church, and he said, John, they've left their first love. You, the apostle, who, you know, you're my friend, you still have to know they haven't haven't made it like you have in your heart, and, and I need you to fix that. And he's probably like, oh, I'm the apostle of love and they don't even love you, what? So he felt... And that's another thing about Jesus. You think he would be like, oh, you've tried so much. No correction for you. He shows up and he just blows up John. I mean, in the best way possible. He shows him all these things, but sometimes he, we want him to have like this false compassion and he just doesn't have it. He just says, John, your church has left their first love and you're responsible for that. Go fix that. Ooh, okay, Lord, but it's hard. And Okay, come up here. I'll show you a few more things and then go. Uh, we'll end this here in a couple minutes. I know I'm going to go a little little too long here, but thank you for your patience. The plan of God. This is on the back page. Just a last couple of things. So there's a the throne of God. There's the church of God that John saw, and then John saw the plan of God. And the plan of God basically spans the whole book of Re- Revelation. God calls John up and he goes, "Let me show you what's going to take place, John. I'm going to show you literally." Just a mind-boggling amount of information. I want you to give this to the church. and the book of Revelation doesn't have everything we need to know, but it's a significant amount of information. And he goes, I, "I basically I want you to know, John, that all of history is moving in a very specific direction. It is not out of control. It looks like it. Like you know, with Roman government and Domitian and persecution, it looks like it's out of control. It's not. I want to assure you, history is going where I want it to go. I've given man free will. I am brilliant enough to have a plan that involves the free will of man. But I want you to know that there's this plan. It's going to unfold. And at the center of this plan is this Lamb of God, who you know, John. And this Lamb of God, Revelation 5, He is capable and He is worthy to take that scroll. He is worthy to rule the whole earth for all eternity in partnership with His church. I want you to know, John, that plan is still going and Jesus is still at the center of it. It looks like things are out of control because again, a church in first century Asia Minor under Roman rule was terrifying. I mean, just flat terrifying. That, That emperor, Domitian was inspired by the devil himself to kill Christians and Jews. I mean, it's, I mean, if you think of the most persecution on earth today, maybe like North Korea, Afghanistan, we're, that's what we're talking about, that level. You're a Christian, you're like, I'm dead at any moment. In fact, one of the letters Jesus sent is, basically, be faithful to death, it's going to happen. It's like, Ugh, I was hoping... <laughs> I was not really wanting that letter. And and again, come up here. Look at what's real. That's momentary. We're all going to die anyways, guys. That's momentary. Just look where it's going. And so I say that with a little bit of tongue in cheek, but a little bit. That's an intense letter. Like if I got that letter, I'd I'd maybe drop that one in the fire and say wrong address, Lord. But uh, he doesn't miss. So the plan of God is still going. What is my point in all this and sharing all this? We just so easily lose perspective. But he's saying, come up here. If, if, you're, if you're maybe kind of wondering, what is going on in life? What's going on in the nation? And what is, what is happening right now? I want you to just answer that invitation. Let God take you up to that celestial, like 30,000 foot or beyond level. And let him show you the throne. Let him show you how he sees the church. Let him remind you his plan is still in effect. And it still has Jesus at the center. And then he says, oh, by the way, John, I want you to know something else. Three times in the book of Revelation, he says, I want you to tell the people the prayers of the saints. They're like a fragrant incense. And they move me. The prayers of the saints are involved in that plan. I showed you the throne. I showed you the worship. I showed you the angels. I showed you the lamb that took the scroll. I'm about to show you the seals, bowls, trumpets. I'm going to show you how it all ends and how it's going to this specific point. There's a bridegroom and a bride and it's all going to end in this garden. And, and I want you to remember in all of this, you have a role. And there's, nobody, there's no Christian who cannot lift up a prayer and it not be a part of that plan. There is this, I don't know how to describe it other than to say this, that when we pray, even in a building like this tonight, when the when the saints on the earth pray, God takes those and He causes them to interact with this plan. That He—that it's going in a certain direction, it's predetermined, and yet there are so many details where He takes Those prayers, he collects them and he pours them out. And I don't know how that works. But he tips them over and answers come. And he's like, John, I just want you to know all that prayer, it is precious to me. And it really does affect people and uh, tribes and tongues and nations. It really has a role in this. We could talk about a hundred things John saw. But I felt like tonight we just needed to be reminded of those four things. The throne of God, He's really there. It's there. The church of God, how He sees it, the plan of God, and then how our prayers play a role in that. You know, some people get weary in all the pressures of life. What's the first thing to go? The prayer time. The prayer life. That's the first thing to go. You ask any Christian, like, you're busy, what did you leave out? My time of prayer. It's so easy. And yet, that's the thing, not once, not twice, three times, God affirms. Oh, those prayers, they are meaningful. And there's no condemnation when we miss a prayer time. I mean, I'm not, God's not like, oh, you heathen. He, he's just saying, just remember over and over. When you lift up a simple prayer, Joshua, when he just stood here tonight and prayed for me, only the Lord knows how he moved tonight, just because of that one prayer. When the church gathers, coincidences happen because it just it it kind of like seamlessly is weaved into the plan. And then we're going to get to eternity. And he's going to go, I knew every one of those prayers were going to happen anyway. And we're like, but well, we didn't know, so we prayed. But he goes, I knew you would pray. And so there's just a mystery to it, but it's a beautiful mystery. So I'll leave you with three words come up here. <laughs> That's what the Lord would want us to hear tonight. He says, Come to me. I'm gentle. I'm humble. Sometimes we just need to get to that higher elevation and just remember some of these things. So I'll close in prayer, and then we'll get together just for a moment here. Father, we are so grateful tonight that you are, as we read tonight, as we heard, you're seated on that throne that John saw, and you're like a carnelian jasper, you're like a A glowing red stone, there's like light all around you, there's rainbows, angels, creatures crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, there's so much going on there and we just ask you, help us to see things as you see them. Remind us, help us to know what you know, even if in some small way. Help us to see the church like you see the church. Lord, help us to remember that you have a plan and it's going as planned. And help us to be those who pray. Jesus, you taught us in Luke 18 to never quit praying, to never lose heart, but to always pray, knowing that you answer, you avenge, you extend justice, you intervene when we pray, day and night. Not a prayer is wasted. They always are a part of your plan. Finally tonight, Lord, I just ask for your encouragement. Lord, encourage us. John probably left that experience just absolutely beaming. And we just pray in some small way, would we come away from tonight just with a sense of your pleasure, your joy, your encouragement, your exhortation, your edification on our hearts, on our minds, God. And I pray for anyone who will hear this message anyone tuned in now or or far into the future, that this would give them strength to continue to persevere, to continue to be a victorious believer who overcomes, knowing you will reward. There will come a day where you reward even the smallest obedience, even that cup of water given to a child. You will never forget. And we thank you for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.